Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Classroom 33 podcast. Pastor Dustin here with uh, Steve Prudian. And uh, this week, we're actually going to change it up a little bit. We're off topic. Steve, you've had a little bit of a burr in your saddle. Well, it's been there for a long time. Okay, but finally it's starting to irritate the saddle, irritate the horse under the saddle. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens. All right, so uh, why don't you tell us about this burr that you've got? Well, it isn't really a, a burr. Okay. okay. Oftentimes, um, it's much easier for everyone, no matter what situation is in their life, to not challenge the status quo. Absolutely. And oftentimes, the church falls into a status well, type of an operation or organization. What's good about a status quo is it's safe. Yes, it is. What's bad about a status quo is, is, is that it's closed to any type of change. Correct. Yep. Many years ago, when I was in seminary, I questioned some things that were being said or being taught in seminary. And it was decided that um, I didn't have a proper view of who and what the church was. Okay. And in all honesty, because I was, I'd only been a Christian for six years. And I'd only been exposed to one type of church. Mm -hmm. I really didn't have a picture of what the church was supposed to be. Okay. I felt that if I was looking at it, and I was, as a non-Christian, and if I looked at it from the outside looking in, if I wanted to do business with this type of organization, mm -hmm. my answer would be no. Okay. And the reason my answer would be no, based upon only with no religious background, which was good in some ways, because I had no bias. Right. But in looking at it from... From a business standpoint and business model, which is I was raised with a business model, with a business conscience of what you look for in a good business if you want to do business with them. Okay. And the churches had were deficient in many, many areas that would basically spell insolvency. Okay. They were going to go out of business even if they didn't want to. All right. Okay. Well, now, as a Christian, becoming a Christian, one of the things that you're told is that now that you're a Christian, you need to be able to attend a church on a regular basis. Yeah, that sounds familiar. So, some people had the liberty to be able to look around and determine what kind of church they wanted to go to. Right. Yep. 
I am going to apologize at this moment to the listeners because I can't, I can't apologize for the fact that I did not get that choice. Okay. The reason I didn't get that choice is that when I met my wife, the girl who became my wife, I had no church affiliation. Okay. In fact, when I met my wife, it wasn't, it was about six weeks after, and you, some of you may relate to the movie that's out, Jesus Revolution. Well, it just so happens that a disciple from that Jesus Revolution in 1970, a hippie, a guy that I thought was just a street bum who had no business talking to me about God is the one who led me to say the sinner's prayer. You ready for this? Not at a church, but in a lady's restroom. <laughs> what a place to get saved. <laughs> uh, yeah, of all places. Of all of, places. Of all places. Of all places. Well, little did I know that this particular gentleman was really tampering with who I was. Interesting. And the problem was, is, is, is that he went counterculture to everything I was raised to believe. Very interesting. But the guy really believed. Mm -hmm. And he really meant it. It wasn't a business axiom. There was no model to follow. It was just pure, raw, Holy Spirit passion. Okay. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. The only thing that I can equate to pure, whole, Holy Spirit passion growing up as a kid was a used car salesman. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, my wife, of course, was, don't laugh, but she was a conservative Baptist. Okay. I didn't know what a Baptist was, but anything that was conservative, I was a little afraid of because it told me that I wouldn't have the liberties that I wanted. All right. If you know anything about Massachusetts, Massachusetts is a very liberal state. Okay. Very open-minded, which means pretty much anything goes. That's fair. Okay. okay. Well, needless to say, what happened is, is, is that I proceeded to go to church with her, Baptist church. Okay. I didn't know any different. Only church I've ever been to. After a couple of years in the professional world and a couple of years doing ministry, while I was also working in the business world, because believe me, I didn't want to have really anything to do working inside or with a church. Okay. I had no problem with Jesus. I had no problem with Jesus' teachings. I had no problem knowing that people needed to know about Jesus and his teachings. Right. My problem was the rigidity in the, you have to excuse the expression, the morbidity 
that I experienced going to church every Sunday with my wife. It was okay. plain. It was just plain boring. Okay. And it was um, a waste of good time where I could be using that time either to be making money. Right. Okay. Or I could be using that time to influence other people in a much better way than sitting in a pew stewing about it. Okay. Now I know why they call it a pew. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so, somewhere along the line, I wanted to help other pastors with being stuck. A lot of the pastors that I visited had a lot of issues, but they were stuck somewhere. Okay. And I didn't have the training or the answers. Even though I went to a Christian, it was a Christian Baptist Presbyterian liberal arts college, that wasn't my field of study. Right. So being that it was out of my field of study, I could understand the terms that they were using. I understood the issues that they had, had no solution to those issues. Okay. And then I realized pastors who've been educated, they got trouble. Right. They got problems too. I think that pastors are maybe people. They might be. They might be people. They might be. The problem was even the pastors felt that they could not live up to the image that their parishioners expected them to live up to. Do you know what that was, Dustin? What was that, Steve? They expected all the pastors that I talked to to be able to have the stamina and to be Jesus Christ. They wanted okay. they yep. wanted them there when they wanted them there. They wanted an answer when they wanted an answer. They wanted healing when they wanted healing. They wanted money when they needed money. Okay, they needed yep. they want they wanted the pastor when they needed a ride somewhere. Okay, they wanted a pastor when they needed to move furniture. They needed the pastor for everything, and they thought that he was basically this representative of God that was sent just to them, to serve just them. Right, and you know what? That can get really exhausting. Oh, absolutely. And really tiring. And a lot of these guys were showing their weariness. Even the younger ones who'd been doing it for about a year or two. Mm -hmm. I knew one thing for sure. This is not a profession that I wanted to be in. I bet. But I felt compassion and empathy for them. So I wanted to figure out a way that I could help them. Okay. So through, a, through many steps, it led me to go to a seminary. Mm-hmm. And I went to the seminary with the anticipation and the hope that I would leave that seminary being able to be better prepared to deal with pastors and how they should manage and live their lives. I didn't want to be their counselor but right. I wanted to be their consultant. Right. And there's a right. difference between counseling and consulting. Very big difference, yes. Well, when I was in seminary, 
I questioned the effectiveness of this very large Baptist church that all of us in seminary were required to become members of. Okay. And um, I would say there was aspects of that particular church in organization that they were better organized than a lot of smaller churches from New England. Mm -hmm. And I applauded them for their organization. I applauded them for their children's ministry and for their educational uh, proudness in a, in a time when people were not regarding that as important. Right. Except there was something that always gnawed at me, something that didn't stand true, something that seemed to be a shadow of weakness. Okay, what was that? Every Sunday was like the Sunday before. I called the Groundhog Church. <laughs> I've been here before. Okay. I know what they're going to do. I know what's coming next. Mm -hmm. I got sent off on a quest. Okay. And the quest that I was sent off on, the intent of the quest, I believe, was to get me to realize that I have nothing to complain about. I have nothing to question. Interesting. The quest that I was sent on was to go out and to do a critical analysis of other churches' Sunday services, mm -hmm. okay? Okay. How, how they performed them. Yep. Okay. What they sang, what they had for worship, the quality in the context of the preaching, okay, and to bring back the report. So I did that. But I started running into, most churches didn't excite me. They seemed to be cookie cutters. Mm -hmm. Like some somebody had a model and they built a bunch of track churches just in different neighborhoods. Right. Except I ran into a few churches that things were different. And even the very fact that I was questioning the differences mm -hmm. kind of scared me. Really? Oh, yes, because I couldn't get definition to what scared me. I couldn't define what it was that I saw, I felt, but yet could not understand. Interesting. So... I went to a number of places that fit within this particular mold. They had different names, but this this is what I recognize that was not allowed in the current membership or type of church that I was in. Okay. But you have to understand that now I was trapped. I was one a seminary student. Right. And two, I was, on, I was on paid staff of this ministry. Okay. And subsequently, they basically drew a line on what I could and could not do, mm -hmm. what I could and what I could not say, what I could, even in my own personal private life outside of work or school, even do, 
we weren't allowed to even go to the movie theater. Really? That's how fundamental it was. Wow. Okay? So, I brought back my criticisms of these types of churches. And okay. they all And they all had something in common. What was that? I sat down with the professor who gave me this challenge, and I said, you know something? And he says, what? I says, we're dead. He says, what do you mean? I says, we got all the words, but we have no spirit. Okay. I says, we got the same Bible. I says, but we don't understand it. Mm-hmm. I says, we are dead. And he says, don't say that too loud. So he knew. And I said to him, I says, what gives? He says, well, he says, some of the churches out there, he says, they get a little too excited in their faith. I says, at least if you get excited, you know you're alive. Yeah. I says, I, I agree. I said, you know, I says, I says, I, I felt really bad. I says, but I says, it made me wonder something. I says, because I says, before being a Christian, mm -hmm. I find people out there who don't know Christ that can get excited at concerts. They yep. can get excited at sports events. But you come into a church and you're not allowed to get excited over the thing that is far greater than any temporary concert or any temporary sporting event. And, okay. of course, and, of course, the answer from the professor is, he says, our churches believe that everything is done decency and decency and order. Therefore, okay. we, don't, we don't encourage emotionalism within our services. They say it leads you down the wrong path. Logical? Interesting. I don't care what argument you have. It was logical, but it left me empty. I heard the answer, but I didn't believe the answer because mm -hmm. I saw a difference. I it, saw yeah. a difference. And so I said to, and he not knowing what he was going to do next, I said, I says, one of the some of the churches I visited, in fact, all of the churches within this group, I says, they all did things that we don't do. And I says, one of the things that they do is, is that they raise hands in worship. And I said, what's that about? And he says, well, he says, we don't do that. He says, because he says, that's an outward expression of emotionalism. I, you could see it that way. I says, but I says. I disagree, but you can see I, it that I, way. I says, but I says, I says, what's that about? And he says, well, why don't you do some research on it? And you come back and you tell me what you find. So knowing that my resource materials that would only be accepted as legitimate source material mm -hmm. would have to come out of the Bible itself. Right. So I started my search in the Bible, 
about people who lifted their hands to God. Okay. Okay. Abraham is uh, one of the good examples of lifting his hands to God. But before Abraham, there was other patriarchs of the Bible, people that are respected, mm -hmm. that lifted their hands to God. And they did it as a form of worship. Yep. And they did it as a form of prayer. Yep. And they did it as a form of honor. And also as a form of humility. Right. And so I brought my findings back all through the Bible. Okay, Old Testament, New Testament. I laid them down before my professor who gave me the assignment. And I says, if it was good for God in the Old Testament and good for God's people, even before there was a Jewish nation, and if it was good for the Christians in the New Testament, mm -hmm. what happened? And he says, you know, he says, there was a time for all of that. He says, but now that we have the full revelation of the Word of God, we don't need a lot of that symbolism that they had back at that point in time. Really? Mm -hmm. I said, so. I says, so they're worshiping God with physical expression. But, yep. but because we live in a different day and age, that's passe, and we can't worship God with that type of expression. He says, that's right. I says, what if you did? He says, what do you think we got ushers for? Really? <laughs> wow. I'm starting to wonder if this guy, uh, did he fold his hands? Huh? Did, he bow, did he fold his hands when he prayed? Did he bow his head? Did he kneel by his bed at, at night when he said his evening prayers? Because those are, those are all the same kind of symbolism. I can't tell that's, you that. That's, but I, the, that's, but... that's the same kind of thing. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just, my mind is racing. Okay. Anyway, I, I will continue with this. Okay. One day I said to him, I said, you know, and I says, I says, one of the things I observed that I didn't tell you about in my report, I says, this, these people that worship at these other places, I says, other than different than ours, I said, they had an expression of love towards one another. Mm -hmm. And I says, and they had also an expression of love towards God and towards Jesus Christ. And I says, and I said, something that we never, ever talk about is I says, they have respect for the person of the Holy Spirit. Okay. And he says, yeah, he says, I know. He says, but we're Baptist. And I says, yeah. He says, well, he says, we wear uh, uh, our vest, you know, close to our chest. And I says, what does that mean? He says, well, he says, we're a little stiff. Yeah. And I says, well, what's our problem? He says, well, he says, maybe. He says, if we weren't afraid of it, he says, we could use some of that love that those other folks have. <laughs> <laughs> but he says, it's not going to be. He says, because we are what we are, mm -hmm. and they are what they are, and there's a clear line drawn that... 
they're not part of us, and we will not be part of them. Uh-huh. So, that brings me to ask the question. Okay. Why do why are we so scared to finally allow ourselves to experience the full love of God that he has for us? That is an excellent question. That is an excellent question. And I agree. We do it. We we block it. I don't know if I know why. I know there's times when I do it. I don't know why. I challenged. Bad thing to do when you're a student. It can be, yep. But I challenged this particular professor to have the guts to allow me to present my findings. Okay. If there's nothing to be afraid of, let me present my findings. Absolutely. If there is some value or some good in my findings, then we should be taking a closer scrutiny at that. Agreed. However, my findings, and he made a big mistake, my findings should have never been found. No professor well, should send a student out to find out what the competition is doing. Because sometimes maybe the, not. Because sometimes the competition is doing something right that you're mm-hmm. not doing. And then what are you gonna do? You've either gotta change it or you've gotta come up with a really good excuse. Well, it's interesting. That the answer, when I asked the professor if I could present this, I said, and if you don't feel confident that I can present this, would you present my paper to the faculty? Because mm-hmm. they did have a faculty review board. I says, could you take my paper and present it at least to the faculty without exposing it to the student body? Right. And he says, it would be my job. If I did, I says, what do you mean it'd be your job? You sent me out, but this is going to be your job to present my findings? He says, I should have never sent you out. Yeah. He says, you were supposed to find out what was wrong with them. You were supposed to find out the error of their worship and the error of their theology. So you would get this bug that you have out of your system, and that would be that. Right. I said, I've analyzed the sermons, and I says, they're biblical. I says, their application may be different than any application that we have, mm-hmm. but the context is biblical. Right. I says, I've written down the music. I've gone back, and I've listened to the music, and I've looked, listened to the lyrics of the music. And I says, and it is solid. ISIS, the difference in the 
music is the spirit of the music. Mm-hmm. I says, now I'm not saying that the Baptist church doesn't have good music. I says, it has some of the exact same music. I says, but it, it lacks the life. Right. In that music that was intended for that music. Mm-hmm. And needless to say, I was put in my student place. Yeah. And I knew that um, I needed to behave myself because if I wanted to go to school, I needed to have my job. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't have a job in the ministry if you were going to make waves. So you'd be a good little boy. You shut your mouth. You sit where you're supposed to sit. You only speak when you're spoken to. Mm-hmm. And this is the answer you will give. Right. <laughs> yep. But that brings me to today. Okay. Are we any different? Maybe a little. Have you seen what sits in the church today? You sit, you get up on stage. Stay, when you get up on stage, you have a total different outlook of what the church amalgamated looks like. Mm-hmm. When you get up on stage, you're going to see several different elements. Tell me what you've observed. I don't really understand what context you want me to answer. I'm that. asking, who do you see? What do you see? What I, age groups do you see? How many people within those age groups do you see? Okay. Who's attentive? Who isn't attentive? Why? Right. Yeah, there's fewer young people. And uh, a lot of the younger people that are there are either with a parent, grandparent, or spouse, the young family with kids. There's a gap in there. The, the young singles that are no longer living with mom and dad no longer have that parental, grandparental influence. They tend to be absent. Persuasion? Maybe. <laughs> um, so it does tend to be an older generation or a generation with kids. If you go to most of the churches in town, what do you think you would see if you were at the, from the pulpit? What would you see as you looked out? I would see the same people in the same places every week. There's a problem. The problem is, is you can't have a church that's alive when you have a congregation that's near death. I would agree with that. How do the people know any different? How do the people know any different? We've got to teach them. And where do you begin? Uh, if you want, if you want my step one, my my step one would be. Um, Actually, I have a standing challenge for my middle school youth group. I have a standing challenge as their instructor every week. And that is to spend at least 15 minutes in the Bible at least four times a week. That's my standing challenge for them. That adds up to an hour 
If you, if you meet that goal, it's an hour. Spending time in scripture, spending time in prayer. I think that's step one. I think it has to be step one. I've actually already been thinking about this before you brought it up. That's got to be step one. Because how can you, how can you grow in your relationship with God unless you're talking to him and listening for him? Ever hear the expression, the better things are caught, not thought, taught? Yes. Yep. What is that yep. a picture of? In your mind, give me a picture of what that represents. Okay, um, I, I'm, ac I'm actually going to take this from a different spin. Um, growing up, sometimes we hear our parents, and as a parent, sometimes I have said, do as I say, not as I do. Right? As a parent, my kids are a lot better at emulating what I do, what they see me do, than they are at following the instructions that I give them. You know, uh, just for a simple example, and kind of a, a different one than you would maybe give normally, eating salad. My kids see me eat salad, they will eat salad. If I've got only meat and potatoes on my plate, they go, why do I have to eat salad? Why do I got to eat this green stuff? And they won't touch it. But they will eat what they see me eating. Good, bad, or otherwise. Right? Salad's a great example. So that's, that's what comes to my mind when I think of better caught than taught. Ever play baseball? Uh, for a couple of years when I was very young. So you have played catch? Oh, yeah. Okay. The process of catch is what? What's the process of catch? Because if you catch, you've caught. Mm -hmm. What's the process of catch? Uh, well, in order to catch the ball, it has to be thrown. It has to be thrown. What do you have to do if you're the man with the glove? Prepare. I've got to be ready to catch the ball. Is the ball always thrown the same way every time? Nope. Are there a lot of variables to the way the ball could be reaching you and your glove? Yes, there are. Okay. How do you get better at it? By doing it. By doing it. But you got to start where? you got to start by missing a lot. <laughs> you got to start, yes, but you do miss, but you do, you start by... Getting the glove. Right. Yeah. You, you start you start by going and getting the glove. You I put, see where you're getting. You put you. the glove on. Now yep. the other thing that what comes with the glove is the knowledge and the anticipation of what that glove is used for. Mm-hmm. Yep. Part of the steps of catching a ball is to understand how a ball can reach the glove. 
Mm-hmm. In other words, how is okay. the ball thrown or how is the ball hit for you to be able to field or to catch the ball? Right. Sometimes you can catch a ball standing in place. Sometimes. But oftentimes you have to follow the ball and go to where the ball is to catch the ball. Yep. That requires another skill. Moving your feet. What else? You got to watch it. You You got to track it with your eyes. You have to have eye, hand, and leg coordination. Yep. To be able to do all that. But it's critical in order to be able to catch the ball. It's critical if you're going to be in the game. Because if you can't master catching the ball, you may have a glove, but you're never going to play the game. Right. We go to church carrying Bibles. They're the glove. Yep. But unfortunately, the rest of what we need to understand what that book and how that book is used has a tendency to be minimized. It's lost. We're not taught how to catch what that Bible can catch, has already caught. Mm -hmm. But that's not the point. The point is the attitude. The point is the spirit of the thing. It's the very reason why you're there. Do you want to be a spectator or do you want to be a player? Right. Okay. Okay. The person who is involved as a player, it becomes more meaningful to them because it's personal. Yep. Therefore, if we apply the same adage to catching a ball, to our faith in going to church, all the people, whether you do it individually, but most people have no clue to begin individually, do not know how to use their Bible. They don't know what has been caught in that book, okay, that can affect them for the rest of their lives. It's called the book of knowledge for a reason, mm-hmm. okay? It is full of wisdom for a reason. Yes, it is. However, we go to church week after week, hour after hour, sing the songs, hear a message, don't remember a word. Lucky if you even remember some of the songs. Walk out, come back a week later to do it all over again. Now, if you are a person who wasn't a Christian and you were on the outside looking in, what would be the first thing you would think if you had to observe this for a few times? It would look a little like lunacy, wouldn't it? I would say... They're mindless. Yeah. They're mindless. Or they don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Or they've been hypnotized. Or, they, or, it's a, or it's a ritual that they're caught up or in. Or it's a ritual. They've been ordered to do it mm-hmm. and not know why they're doing it. I go back to this paper that I was ordered to write on a criticism of the churches, a criticism of the churches. Yep. And I come back and I say, 
we're a gravestone. Mm -hmm. Except we don't have a death date written on the stone, but we're as cold as that stone. We might as well as be dead. Because first off, first off, that book that God wrote tells us to worship him. Yes, it does. It tells us how to worship him. Yep. It tells us how we're supposed to rejoice. Mm -hmm. It tells us we are supposed to lift holy hands. Yes, we it are. It says we are supposed to pray always. Mm -hmm. But yet, we go to church in the same ritual. Yeah. Okay. The same groundhog church happens every week. And you wonder why there's only old people sitting there. Very few young people sitting there. Yep. The old people can't hear anyway, so it doesn't matter what, what's been sung or what's been said. <laughs> the, the people with families are so busy trying to corral their kids, they can't really even know even worship's going on. Mm -hmm. Okay? And then you got the kids themselves, and they have, see, no relevancy in it. They're happy if they're happier if you can sit them in a pew with a video game. They'll yep. come out more excited with the results from the video game than going into the place where God is supposed to be. Yep. What's wrong with this picture? Plenty. What do you do about it? I'll tell you what you do about it, okay? okay. That That's good, because I'm... I'm drawing a blank. I'll tell you what you're doing. Um, about. I don't. I don't know where to start. If you're starting, if you're starting from a traditional, regular, mainline church, which a lot of the churches are yep. around here, people have a familiarity of what they think a service should look like. Right. Step one. Step two. Step three. They call it the program. Yep. Okay, it's a programmed church. Right. Break out of the program. Don't follow the program. Be free to move in the spirit. Whoa, 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 whoa. No spirit allowed. It's a mainline church. Mainline churches, <laughs> Holy Spirit can't attend. <laughs> Only God and Jesus, and maybe even Jesus we have to watch. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying to you is this. Okay. Is just that that people have been educated to think that this is the way church is supposed to be. That is not the church that's in that Bible. That church you can't find in that Bible. Not there. Right. So the fact is is, is that we are not doing it by anything that the Bible says that we're supposed to worship. And how is that? In spirit mm -hmm. and in truth. But Holy Spirit can't be there. Well, okay, Holy Spirit can't be there. But we're supposed to worship then in truth. Well, wait a second. That's Jesus. He can't be there either. <laughs> so that brings us back to God. And God represents what's safe. God represents legalism. What you can ways, do, yeah. what you can do, what you can't do. So we go to church, okay, begrudging the fact that we have no liberty because it's legal. We have to, right. we, we can't color outside the lines. But yet, if you take that book, 
you take my analysis of the churches in worship, some of it's right, some of it's wrong, mm -hmm. most of it's just plain boring. Do you know what happens when you worship? Dustin, tell me what you think happens when you, as a person, worships, the church as a body worships, okay? What happens and take it to its extreme? To its extreme. To so, its extreme. So when I, when I experience, when a person experiences that true, full worship where they've surrendered to the Holy Spirit and they are pouring themselves out and receiving the pouring, the inpouring of the Spirit from God. Oh, what's that teaching? <laughs> go ahead, keep talking. You told me to go all the I way, know. so I'm going all but, the but way, nobody man. Nobody knows what you're talking about. <laughs> go ahead. You know what? There's a few people out there that do know what I'm talking I about, and they need to know. They need to know that they're not crazy, that what they've experienced is a good thing. Keep coming. And so, so yourself... You, you're poured out of yourself, your own, your own will, your own pride, your own arrogance as a human being. Inhibition. Gets, yeah. You have you, to give up your inhibition. You give up, you give up everything, and the Holy Spirit is poured into you, and it's powerful, and it's incredibly humbling. Um, sometimes arms go up. Sometimes you jump and dance. Sometimes you fall on your face. There's different, different times and different ways that the Holy Spirit can move you in that. And it's incredibly powerful. And you feel throughout your entire being. And I'm not just saying that as a cliche. You can feel in your feet the love of God. You feel it in your heart. You feel it in your hands. And you want to do something. And you know in that moment that nothing you give could ever be enough, but that doesn't make that makes you just want to try even even harder to love God better. And that moment of true worship, and you know, let's not limit that to to singing a song or a worship service, even. You know, true worship happens in our daily lives as well. You know, I just want to put that out there. Singing a song is not the only, it, that's not the limitation of worship. Worship should be every aspect of our lives. So when you have these moments, these times of true worship, it is, it's amazing and it's humbling and it makes you want more. And then I'm human and then I get in the way. But that, that's maybe a different different moments topic. Um, so that's what I've experienced. And that's what I've, I've talked to some other people that have experienced the same kind of thing in that, in that moment of true, powerful, reverent worship. And when it happens as a church, when the entire church body is pouring out themselves and having the Holy Spirit pour into them. Individually, 
they might be feeling some or all of what I just described. But corporately, it's not about us. Heaven rejoices, and heaven will worship with us. And the throne room will erupt with rejoicing and praising and the cherubim and the seraphim and all the angels and all the elders will cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they will worship with us. What kind of a church would that look like? That would... That, that's the kind of church that somebody on their lowest day, in their hardest times, they will drive past it, they will walk past it, it will just come into their mind that they need to go there. That's what that church looks like. That church looks like grace. It looks like love. And it looks like freedom for everybody, not only the people there. Freedom? All sorts of freedom. The best kind of freedom, the freedom that comes in being a slave to Christ. That's what that church looks like. And do you wonder why when you look out from a pulpit or from a stage and you see what you see, and you don't see that there, do you wonder why? Sometimes. I wonder why every Sunday. I have to ask the question why, okay? Yep. I have to say, we're going through the motions. We're singing songs. Yep. We have the Word of God. Where's the power? Where's the Spirit? Yes, I understand the truth. But I show it like to feel that truth. Well, now people will say, well, you can't have an experiential, experiential uh, experience in going to church with God. And, I'll, and I'm saying, I'm sorry, I'm not interested. I'm interested in knowing that God is alive yep. and that he's alive to the point that he cares about me to show up. And I will show up for him. There's a thing that Jesus says that most people don't catch. I want you to listen to Jesus' words. Okay. It follows a progression. It's very simple, but most people just let him talk. Don't think about it. Just move on down the road. Okay. This is what Jesus says. I said the word says because he's still saying it today. Oh, absolutely. Not past has said. He said this to his disciples. He, meaning Father God, mm-hmm. in me. Yep. And I, in you. Ask what you may, and it will be done unto you. Who is involved? Is this dynamic? Mm -hmm. Who is involved? Give me the characters involved. The characters involved, God the Father, God the Son, and me, and the Holy Spirit. 
Because it's the Holy Spirit living in me that... What's yes. the requirement that Jesus is saying you have to do? There's only one thing he's asking. What is the requirement that Jesus is telling his disciples? We are his disciples, by the way. Yep, we are. What is the one requirement? I think the word I would use is abide. Abide is a good word, but that wasn't the order. That's not the order. The order was ask. Ask. Ask what you will, and it will be done unto you. Yep. You got to ask. Okay. However, you got to ask understanding. God the Father is in me. Mm-hmm. And I am in you. When you ask, you should know at this point, you need to ask, okay, what it is that my Father will do. Yep. Yep. You think by asking me, I'm going to do it for you. That's not how it works. Nope, it's not. The, the dichotomy of how it flows, it begins at the Father. Yep. Okay? And he passes it on to me. Mm-hmm. And I give it to you. What is your faith all about? The same thing. God the Father anoints it, mm-hmm. births it. He gives it to his son who blesses you with it. Yep. Now you go do something with it. Right. Okay. Sometimes you don't even have to ask what to do because you know what to do. So why are you so glum and so sad when you come into my house and you say you come into my house to worship me? You sang the songs, you heard the word, you're no different going out than you were coming in. There's something wrong with this picture. Why do you even go and show up? The question is, is why do you think your kids have no interest? Something needs to change. Where does it begin? Mm-hmm. People are stupid. They're stupid, stupid sheep. Sorry about that, folks. Okay, but <laughs> if you don't know something, okay, you're not stupid. You're just ignorant. Uh, fair. Okay? okay. But the reality is, is that you won't know until someone teaches you. And the Word of God says, how can anyone be saved unless someone goes and teaches or preaches to you who Jesus Christ is. Well, it doesn't stop with just knowing who Jesus Christ is. You need to know of the spirit within Jesus Christ, okay? Mm -hmm. That will give you new life. Unless you experience that spirit of Jesus Christ, you might have faith. You may have the Bible. You may have church, but they call that religion, And Jesus Christ came to do away with the legalism, the legalistic form of religion, because it was that form of religion that was making everybody sick, that was anemic, that was powerless, that was dead. And the fact is, is is that we do ourselves and God and his son and the Holy Spirit a disservice by not wanting to change. Okay, it's our responsibility to grow 
in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And part of that knowledge in the Lord Jesus Christ is how to offer. I want you to hear this. Worship is not worship to the Holy Spirit. Worship is not worship to Jesus because both the Holy Spirit and Jesus are involved in worship and they're worshiping the Father God. So if you want to worship, you need to recognize who is the receiver of worship and that is our creator, that is Father God. The church needs to teach the principles of what worship is to its people yep. and then it needs to play catch so people mm-hmm. know how to handle the glove they know what to do when the ball is thrown at them they need to know how to throw the ball back yep but the thing is is, is that unless somebody shows them how will they know they won't know how do you know how to find life in the worship part of a worship service. How do you do it? You have to dedicate yourself and the service. And even the people that we would classify as the musicians and the singers. It's called the consecration before God. To be able to bring something that is, that is sweet and savory. Okay? Mm-hmm that is not stale or old or mundane. It has to be brought before God as a fresh, new sacrifice. And the Bible calls out the fact that when we go to worship God, we have to bring the sacrifice of praise. Mm -hmm. It isn't just rote. It isn't just a vain repetition, which Jesus Christ also warns against, because old religion was rote. Okay, it was legalism. It was rain repetitions. And here we are in 2023. Vain. Wrote. Rain repetitions. No wonder nobody, churches are diminishing in size. No wonder the youth are searching and finding no answers. Because here we are. We caught the ball. We've kept the ball. We're no longer throwing the ball. And we're not teaching people how to play catch. I almost hate to say amen to that. So there is my beef. My beef is I'm 73 years old. I've been waiting 40 years for somebody to say, okay, it's time to acknowledge this truth, this this research that I did so many years ago, and I see glimpses of it, and I know it exists. Yep. So I can't deny that it doesn't exist, that it's not real. However, people within certain Religious groups do not want to risk exposing themselves to what God can do to them and for them and through them. So they live their lives with their name and their birth date on their gravestone, waiting for a date at the end. But that isn't the end of the gravestone. On the gravestone, there's a testimony. And the testimony is he lived... For God. Otherwise, you just get a dash. Well, 
I can't speak for the listeners, but I can speak for me. And I can say, you've given me a lot to think of. It's a lot to digest. And I will digest it. And I will continue to digest it. And I would urge all of our listeners to continue to digest it. Listen to it a second time, third time, fourth time if you have to. Let's bring life back to the church. Let's learn how to play catch. Let's read our Bibles. Let's study them. If you don't know how to read your Bible and study it, ask. There are people in the church that do. There's life in Jesus. There is life in Jesus. But if you don't spend time with Jesus, then you not have spent any time with the life that Jesus has for you. Yep. There is power in the presence of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is not intrusive. He's not. He's a gentle person. And, yep. he, and he has to be invited. So... If you open your Bible, if you pray, if you have a time that you read your Bible, if you have a time that you do a study, don't do it alone. It won't mean anything to you if you do it alone. You can only do it through the power, through the eyes, and through the, the urging, the gumption, the umption of the Holy Spirit that will get you excited about the words of God that become alive that are true. And when you go to worship, when you go to sing, or you have a melody in your heart, mm -hmm. that melody is accentuated and accelerated and gives you meaning and gives you vitality only if you include the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is given to you in order for you to be energized. Do you want to be a dead battery or do you want to be a battery full of energy? Your lives can't run well on a low battery. Your spiritual lives can't run well on a low battery. But you know what? You are rechargeable. Yep. So get together with at the charging station, which is at the throne of God, and get charged up, and then come to church and share the message of rejoicing with the body of Jesus Christ and bring your, off, your sacrifice of praise unto God and say, thank you. This is what you've done this week, God. This is what your word has meant to me. Mm -hmm. Okay? Look for a reason for why you're alive. And you're not alive just for yourself. Nope. You're alive for all eternity. That means if, in fact, your salvation is ensure, then Everything that you do for Christ will last. You might as well start now so you have a lot of things that are lasting. Absolutely. And I'm going to go back. Um, I'm going to go back to the challenge that I give to my middle schoolers. And I'll add a little bit. 15 minutes each day, four days a week. Spend it reading. Read your Bible. If you, if that means that uh, you read the book of Timothy four times this week, read the book of Timothy four times this week. What you read in the Bible isn't what's important. 15 minutes, 
in the Bible at least four days this week. And I'm also going to challenge to start your reading by inviting the Holy Spirit to open your mind and your heart to new revelation. And then at some point during your day, either paired with your reading or separate, spend at least five minutes in prayer. So 15 minutes in the Bible, five minutes in prayer, at least four days this week. You might not notice the difference right away, but this is a pattern that destroys anxiety. It's a pattern that destroys depression. It is a pattern that brings the true joy that comes with knowing God and knowing Jesus and communing with the Holy Spirit. It brings that peace that passes all understanding. And if you want to see, if you want to be that person who wants to come to church and wants to worship and wants to experience that pouring out of self, that will get you there. It's step one, but that will get you there. Thank you, Dustin. That's a very good exercise on playing catch. Yes. That's what I was going for. All right. Well, Steve, um, do we have any any more thoughts on that or any more? Uh, do we have a teaser for next week at all? You know what? Um, Job chapter 12 is really a launching pad. Pad into really seeing the mind of Job. When I'm saying seeing the mind of Job, we're seeing the spirit of Job. Okay. We're seeing what he already knows about the God he believes in. Yep. That most of us never even think about. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be in chapter 12 for a couple of weeks because of being preempted. Right. Okay, but the thing is, is, is that we're not going to rush through it, um, but we are going to use it as our foundation for the next two pillars that Job is going to use before he starts building his roof. All right. Well, that sounds great, and if anybody is wondering... Where they should spend their 15 minutes? Maybe read Job chapter 12 a couple of times this week. All right, Steve, thank you very much for this topic. Thank you for coming in and kind of bearing your soul to us on this. Uh, I certainly appreciate it. I hope the listeners did too. In, in, my, in my previous affiliations, I would be on the outside looking in. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Have a great week, Steve. Thank you. Same to you, Dustin.